Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone. It's uh, post-July 4th, uh, college football less than two months away. Anyway, you slice it. Uh, slightly past uh, 11 a.m., Central Time on Wednesday, July 13th, as I record this week. Again, I'm Paul Stone. This is episode 60 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Uh, As many of you know, I've been working on college football essentially uh, since the end of the 2021 season uh, back in January, but that work has really intensified uh, the past month or so. Uh, But before we turn our our full attention to college football, or at least most of it, first we have golf's final major of 2022, the Open Championship, uh, or the British Open, uh, depending on your preference, happening this week at the Old Course at St. Andrews in Scotland, a historic place for the sport of golf if you follow it closely. So on to this week's podcast. We're going to open up with some uh, college football thoughts. First of all, just odds and ends, a couple of things I thought were worth uh, mentioning and going over. And then we're going to finish up with some thoughts uh, and selections on this week's 150th Open Championship. So let's get started uh, with episode 60 titled, Summertime is Here. And indeed it is in many parts of the country. I'm in the eastern part of Texas. And we've been exceeding 100 degrees um, for most days, it seems like, the last 10 to 14 days, uh, with more of those days in the immediate forecast. Uh, we have some humidity here in East Texas, so pretty intense. But, uh, you know, if you're in Las Vegas or, or places like that, uh, you're feeling the same thing uh, as is, you know, most of the country. So summertime is indeed here. You know, people, sports fans, handicappers have asked me, on multiple occasions, this question. How is NIL, a name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal affected your handicapping? You know, first of all, I want to start by answering that the transfer portal's impact on my development of power rankings uh, and handicapping is exponentially greater than the effect of NIL. You know, I'm a fundamental handicapper. I examine, assess, and ultimately judge teams based on what I perceive to be their overall talent level, level, uh, their overall cumulative team strength, if you will. In the old days, like just a few years ago, (laughs) a team's roster turnover uh, would consist of players graduating, or better put, uh, running out of eligibility, uh, declaring early for the NFL draft in some cases, and you had an occasional transfer to another program. With today's transfer portal, 
uh, which is essentially what it is, is year-round free agency. The movement of players in college football and college sports in general is mind-blowing. You know, it's almost impossible to keep up with each and every move. So I believe it's best to log and track the ones of players who we feel like have a fairly high chance of contributing at some level uh, at their new school. So it's chaos and confusion. You know, that's what the transfer transfer portal has bought, brought us as fans of college sports and uh, specifically those of us who handicap college sports. But as a college football specialist, where I focus much of my year-round energies, I like chaos and confusion. You know, first of all, clearly, it makes me work harder. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But the, but the more clutter, I like to say the more clutter, the greater I believe my advantage. Why? You know, in a nutshell, the guys in the back offices at the sports book, you know, they're juggling multiple sports at any given time. Meanwhile, I, you know, by and large, I'm focusing my energies on college football, especially this time of the year. So even though they're taking 11 and only giving back 10, I like my ability, I like my experience, plus my specialization, the fact that that's really all I'm looking at or what I'm mostly looking at is college football. So let's have more variables. You know, let, let's, let's have more elements to consider. Let's have more chaos and confusion. A lot of people don't like it because it requires more work. But guys like me, I think, tend to like it because we feel like it increases, all things being considered equal, our advantage. Another question I often get is, how do I make power rankings? And this has probably been the most asked question that I've had posed to me, whether it be via email or, or just verbally in person or whatever other method. Uh, you know, they'll tell me, hey, man, how do you make power rankings? You should do a podcast on it. And I'll be honest with you. You know, first of all, to, to this point, that's been a difficult thought to get my arms around. You know, going into the great detail and processes, the numerical values I, I assign, the slotting of teams, so forth and so on. It's very subjective. You know, just all that I go through to ultimately assign a power ranking to each of the 131 teams. So what I've done, and I'm going to present today in this podcast, and we're probably going to continue this next week or in a very soon uh, to follow podcast. Uh, I'll try to do it next week, if not next week, the week after that. But I'm going to at least present a framework, a basic framework, not exactly how I do it, but this at least will give you a starting point on how to get started with power rankings. So here it goes. It's pretty basic, but I think it does, again, give you a nice little framework to get started with your power rankings. So my reckon, recommendation for a starting point is use multiple publications and sources to get your process jump started. going to cost you maybe about $50 or, or so, depending on how many magazines you buy. But I would buy uh, the magazines, and I'm, I'm going to mention a few, Three magazines come to mind right off the bat, three that I've already got this year, Phil Steele's College Football Preview, Athlon, and Lindy's. 
and there's probably others that do this, but those three preseason magazines rank all 131 FBS teams in order. And there's 131. You, you become used to probably 130 FBS teams. But we have the addition of James Madison University, the Dukes. Uh, many of you know from Harrison or, or uh, situated in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And to take that a step further, if you're long in the tooth like I am, you might remember one of Harrisonburg's most famous sons, the 7-4 skyscraper, his hometown being Harrisonburg, Virginia, that being uh, the great Ralph Sampson. But in any event, those three magazines, they rank the teams numerically 1 to 131. In Phil's magazine, I would use the uh, power rankings. On my in my magazine, it, it, they're found on page thirty-four, and I'm sure universally, that's what page you'll see his power rankings. They are by conference. On that particular page, they are not listed one to one thirty-one, but it not only gives you the team name, but it gives you the numerical power ranking, which is really very, very important and crucial in this process. So his magazine gives numerical rankings to teams. You can take those and you can order those 1 to 131. And then the Athlon and Lindy's do not uh, assign numerical rankings. But again, they do rank all 131 teams, uh, which is in order, which is quite helpful. In addition to these three magazines, maybe you'll find a fourth or fifth that does this. The more sources, the better, just depending on how extensive you want to get in your process. But in addition to the preseason magazines, Jeff Sagren and Sonny Moore, they both publish their own power rankings, which can be easily found uh, on the Internet at no charge. I believe Moore, Sonny Moore, has already published his 2022 preseason college football rankings I don't believe Sagarin has his out yet, and I think it's closer to early August or mid-August before he gets those preseason rankings out. So anyway, you know, use these four or how many ever sources that you uh, ultimately decide to utilize to develop some sort of consens consensus slotting of teams 1 to 131. So we're going to determine, first of all, the order that these teams are going to be. 1 to 131. So if you're using, the way this might look, if you're using four sources and state U is 23rd in one, 42nd in another, 26th and 51st, you might average that and you come to 35.5 uh, for their average ranking in those different publications and uh, sources. You might then, once you've accumulated or uh, compiled a average ranking on each of the 130 teams, you might slot those teams then 1 to 131 or, or list those teams 1 to 131. Then at that point, you're going to use Phil Still, Sonny Moore, any other source that you deem to be legitimate. You're going to use their numerical values or their power rankings uh, for, for each of those teams. And you're also going to use Jeff Sagren's uh, when they become available. And again, any others that you deem to have value. And you're going to look at the numbers that they use, the, the, the number that the highest ranked team has, the number that the lowest ranked team has, and then how they're kind of slotted in the middle. And you're going to use all this to kind of 
establish a mental framework for what numerical value range that you're going to feature in your own unique power rankings. Uh, in going over the different rankings and the different publications, etc., you know, you'll see some schools ranked in positions, you know, you disagree with. You'll see some team that's ranked 60th, and you say there's no way they should be ranked 60th. That's a top 30 team or a 35th team, you know. Some of those rankings you're going to disagree with, you know, vehemently, and, um, you know, they're going to cause you to say, say what? You know, you're going to be just uh, kind of aghast at some of the rankings you see. Not a whole lot of that going on, but uh, one of those pub publications probably has more than the others. Uh, without going into great detail. But that's kind of the beauty of utilizing multiple sources. You know, obviously it provides more balance uh, and unique perspectives. So once you have, again, established an average ranking for each school and you've slotted them or listed them 1 through 131, this is where you kind of enter the process with your own touch. You're going to shuffle these teams. You're going to look at them 1 through 131, and you're going to say, man, there's no way that team should be below that team. And you're going to start shuffling them around. This might take hours. This might take days. This might take two or three weeks, depending on how much time you have each day and how much time you want to spend perfecting and fine-tuning the order of teams. But once you've got that, you put your own unique touch on those teams and you've completed your ranking process uh, of, of 1 to 131, and again, it's going to take a time commitment if done properly, but once you've accomplished this, then it's time to assign and attribute numerical values or power rankings to each team. Again, look at your, you know, look at your sources as a guide for the numerical range that they might utilize. Uh, my system roughly you know, has the best team at the start of the year, whether it's Alabama or Ohio State. Uh, I've got Alabama tops. I think I've got Alabama 95 starting the year and Ohio State maybe at 93. Uh, that top team, whether it's one of those two or some other, the top teams in my power rankings as we start playing games and we get final scores uh, by basically margin of victory in my subjective analysis – the top team will ultimately get a little bit closer to 100, 100 rather, uh, as we, you know, move into October. That historically has been how it work, you know, works out. It doesn't have to work out that way. I'll let the results speak for themselves. But usually my top team gets to about 100 a few weeks into the season or in the high 90s anyway. So around 100 or a little bit less for your top team. And then the weakest FBS teams, the, the UMasses, the UConns, uh, the New Mexico States of the world, those schools are going to probably, you know, be somewhere between 35 and 39 on the low end. So that represents about a 55 to 60 point, you know, difference between the highest and lowest ranked teams uh, in your power rankings. And then you have to start assigning numbers to all those teams in the middle. And again, use Sagarin, use Sonny Moore, um, use Phil Stills as kind of a, a, a template or a uh, reference point to see. Uh, what values and what difference between certain teams you should be attributing uh, to make them, uh, you know, usable. Um, again, I'm kind of looking at some notes here, but I've uh, mentioned that uh, Alabama is going to start at 
95 or 96, and that top team's going to work to about 100 as we go uh, as we go through the season. Teams can be above 100, you know. I remember back in 2005, uh, Texas and USC were head and shoulders above all the other teams in college football that season when they met in the national championship at the Rose Bowl in January of 2006. I believe my power rankings, I had USC – uh, around a historical high of 105 and Texas at 103. The LSU team of a few years ago, that 2019 scoring machine led by Joe Burrow, I think they got to about 106 or so. I think they even exceeded USC in my power ranking structure uh, and many of the other folks who I respect who keep power rankings as well uh, had the same um, ranking for LSU there. But teams can get above. Just kind of pointing that out to say the teams that, you know, averaging 50 a game, uh, beating teams, uh, you know, just kind of taking them out to the woodshed uh, team after team, not having too many close games, so forth and so on. Uh, those teams are going to get above 100 in certain years. I'm going to kind of leave the power ranking discussion. Hopefully that gave you a starting point. Uh, next week, as I mentioned earlier, or the week after, We'll plan to talk about how you adjust power rankings once the games start and once you have final scores and performances by teams and that type of thing. So that'll be interesting. But I'm going to give you a little bit of information on that probably next week, so something hopefully to look forward to. Next, I'm going to give you a couple of selections in this week's Open Championship, some full tournament matchups. I'm going to start with a couple of players who were matched together in a tournament matchup both approaching the, the age of 50, some of the older players in the tournament, those players being 49-year-old Stuart Sink, who was actually a past Open champion, and 46-year-old Swede Henrik Stenson. Uh, looking at Sink, first of all, uh, Sink's a minus-135 favorite in this matchup. But Sink, uh, before last week, he had missed three of his previous four cuts Barely made the cut last week. Made it on the number, I believe, at last week's Scottish Open, uh, which a lot of the players competing this week in the Open Championship played the Scottish Open last week. Sink made the cut on the number. Then he plays really well on the weekend. Shot 70-67. So shot 137 on the weekend, the final two rounds. To kind of put that in perspective, winner Xander Shoffley, he only was one stroke better uh, than Sink on the weekend. He shot 136 on the weekend. So Sink really played well on the weekend. Uh, at 49, Sink really hasn't lost a whole lot of distance off the tee. He's played well on link-style uh, courses in the past, again, winning the 2009 Open Championship. He's finished in the uh, top 25, actually, in three of his last five Open Championships, and that includes a uh, top 20 here at the old course back in 2015. Stinson, meanwhile, uh, his best days, in my opinion, seem to be behind him. Uh, he's missed the uh, cut in six of his last eight majors. In the other two, the two that he made the cut, had a 64th and a 38th, so no high finishes in his last eight majors. Sink, again, minus 135 over Stinson, full tournament matchup. I like Stuart Sink at minus 135 over Henrik. Stinson this week in the Open Championship. Before I go to my uh, final selection, full tournament selection for this week's Open Championship, a quick promo for Paul Stone Sports. If interested in my full season college football package, uh, 
still available for just $4.99 for the full season beginning in late August all the way through the national championship in uh, January. You'll get my premium selections, uh, usually five or six to up to about nine selections a week. You'll get those for the full season, again, for just $4.99. I have hit a monitored, a legitimately monitored 56% over the last seven seasons uh, as uh, monitored by the highly respected, the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. For information about my package, please go to paulstonesports.org. You could also get my uh, open championship selections for this weekend, my full tournament and round-by-round selections for just $29 at the same site. Again, that site, paulstonesports.org. Going to look at another full tournament matchup here featuring a couple of Americans, Chris Kirk and Luke List. Uh, Kirk was an underdog at a few places this morning, though. He's listed, uh, I found him at one uh Widely available book at minus 101. So I'm going to uh, price this at Chris Kirk, minus 101 against Luke List. Uh, First of all, Kirk comes in clearly in better current form. He's made five straight cuts. He has six top 15s on the entire year. But looking at these last five tournaments, which he's made the cut, uh, that includes a tied for seventh a month ago with the Canadian Open and then a tied for uh, 15th a couple of weeks before that at the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth. Uh, meanwhile, List, he's only made uh, four of his last eight cuts. Uh, he did log a tied for 19th three weeks ago at the Travelers. Uh, but since winning the uh, Farmers in late January, List has actually missed more cuts, eight, than cuts he's made, seven. So since winning the uh Farmers uh, tournament there at uh, Torrey Pines in late January. Luke List has missed eight cuts, only made seven. Meanwhile, have to point out, neither golfers really come up aces in recent majors. Uh, Each of these guys has only made the cut in just two of their last nine majors. But I think Chris Kirk clearly in better form. Uh, He, you know, Luke List is a long hitter who, you know, St. Andrews will favor that a little bit, perhaps playing hard surface-wise this week, but Kirk's not a short hitter by any stretch of the imagination. So I like Chris Kirk minus 101 over Luke List. So there's a couple of uh, full tournament matchups. Uh, going to give you a couple of outrights. Uh, last, in the last major, uh, the U.S. Open uh, gave you uh, Matt Fitzpatrick and um, Will Zalatoris uh, in the podcast. So those guys, uh, you know, dueled it there at the end uh, with uh, Matt Fitzpatrick being the uh, ultimate winner. So looking at a couple, I'm not going to go into great detail. We're going to get this baby wrapped up. But looking at a couple of outright recommendations, going to go with one of the short favorites in the tournament. Going to give one of those, and that's going to be Rory McIlroy. Uh, McIlroy. That guy's at 10-1 to 1 around that number. Um, you know, he's just – playing so well right now he uh, gained more strokes putting than anybody uh, in the most recent major the u.s open his current form is just outstanding and even at short odds i'm going to recommend roy McElroy at 10 to 1 and then a little bit further down the sheet will zalatoris we're going to go with will again at 33 to 1 this last uh this time in his last eight majors he has three seconds 
and uh, he has finished eighth or better six times in those last eight majors. And then let's give you just uh, one long shot here, and I'm gonna go with Aaron Wise at 134 to one. Guys made the cut. The University of Oregon, uh, former golfer there in Eugene, he's made the cut in seven straight majors. Uh, hadn't come close to winning, but he does have three top 17, or rather two top 17s in those last seven majors, and also has three other top 35s in his last seven majors in addition to those two top 17s. So Aaron Wise at 134 to 1. So outrights, Roy McElroy 10 to 1, Will Zalatoris 33 to 1, and Aaron Wise a bomb, if you will, at 134 to 1. Appreciate you guys listening again. It's been uh, great to visit with you and talk college football and a little open championship. Hope you're able to get up early in the morning uh, and enjoy some of the golf this week. Should be a great tournament at one of the most historic venues in the sport of golf. It's been great. It's been fun. Have a great summer. Stay cool. Stay safe. Until next time, signing off, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 